take your time to find those kind of partnerships, figure out the most reasonable budget you can do and get to market. Don't be afraid to do that. Welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I'm stoked you've decided to join me on this journey to bring about a massive and positive change in the lives of others. Every week, you're going to join me behind closed doors, where I will introduce you to entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators from a variety of industries to learn how their contributions are impacting the lives of others and how they are having a game-changing impact in the world. Thanks for investing your time with me today. Now, Grace for Impact. On this week's episode of the Impact Entrepreneur Show, I introduce you to my friend Chris Faddis, a dedicated husband and father, speaker, author, and entrepreneur. Chris is the founder of Bene Plates, a food and nutrition company that provides high-quality nutrition to the chronically ill and the walking well. He has a diverse background in marketing, management, and concept development, and since the death of his first wife, Angela, he has devoted his time to writing, speaking, and creating sustainable business models to serve the healthcare needs of the chronically ill. Chris is a regular guest on television and radio programs, sharing his story along with offering insight on healthcare and caring for people at the end of life. He's remarried to Jennifer, and together they raise their three children, Gianna, Augustine, and Maximilian, in Chandler, Arizona. In addition to everything else Chris is doing, he also founded the Angela Fattis Fund to support those who are chronically ill and cannot afford proper nutrition. Bust out your pens and paper. Take a lot of notes. Don't be a podcast junkie. This is a really great story with a lot of valuable insight on how we can all grow to a great place in the face of adversity. Brace for impact. Chris Faddis, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show, where we spend time interviewing entrepreneurs, having conversations about how they are using their their platform, their product, their service to have a tremendously positive impact in the lives of others. And we go beyond their success and their failures. Really pumped to have you on the show. I know you know you you're a, a jet setter. Has been really with my people working with your people to get it all nailed down. So you know, <laughs> but we finally were able to do it. So congratulations! Hey man, thank you so much, Mike. I've really enjoyed. It. It's actually been nice to wait to be on the show, uh, mostly because I wanted to be sure you had the right caliber of people, of course. But um, <laughs> no, no. But really, it's been enjoyable. I mean, it really you've done a great job, and and I've enjoyed your guests. And um, I'm a regular listener, so here you go. I'm going to be. I, you know, I appreciate that. Maybe I'll be quoting Mike Flynn on this show. Well, you know that that, that would be a first. Uh, <laughs> so, Chris, you know what are you most excited about right now? You've got a lot going on, but you know you just celebrated a, an anniversary. But what are you what are you most excited about right now? You know, I'm I'm most like ooh gosh. Well, it's first day of summer break over here. You know, I know I don't know when you're going to air this, but. So we've got that going on right now, and my kids are making a cake. So I'm excited about that, I will say. I'm excited to eat cake today. Um, <laughs> but I'm most excited, I think, about where we're headed with with uh, my current company, which is Ben A. Plates, which I know we're going to talk about. And I, I think what I'm excited about is that we are now, we're about a year into you know go, diving into to launching the business, but really about eight or nine months into launching the business. And um, we're at a point where we've learned a lot of lessons, um, we, you know, which which comes from some failures and some mistakes and some some things that didn't work like we thought. And so we're, you know, in a sense, re um, redesigning certain things. And in in some sense, you know, I guess that's kind of nice because I'm a creative type person. So, I, you know, the boredom that can set in after you've launched a product project, you know, and then you're kind of like, okay, well, now what, you know? So. So we're we're kind of iterating on some of our concepts and what we did, and we're changing it up. So I'm excited what we're going to do next. I mean, I'm excited to to have learned the lessons to now be able to serve our clientele even better. That's fantastic, and we'll get into that in, in more depth in, in a moment. You know, there's I don't know about you, but I grew up uh, reading comic books and you know watching all the superhero cartoons, and I'm a huge fan of all the the Marvel stuff right now. And I think that dreaming of 
having superpower uh, superpowers is a really good tool that entrepreneurs uh, have available to them, and 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 they can you know think about it, how they actually have superpowers that they can apply every day in their business life and their journey as an entrepreneur. So, if you could pick any superpower, what would it be, and how would you, Chris Faddis use it? Mm. You know, I, I think about it a lot. You know, there's there's a um, you know there's always a thought like you'd love to heal people, right? Wouldn't that be cool to be able to heal people? But like Jesus already did that, so you know, I kind of feel like I that's covered, right? Um, so for me, I really think about especially in related relation to entrepreneurship, but I think it would work well in my marriage too. Is I wish I could somehow get the ideas in my head. Like when I see a vision and I see how I want something, like I've, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a foodie and I've been in the food business and I, I've thought of restaurants I want to open. I can picture exactly what I want that restaurant to look like, but I have absolutely no skills whatsoever when it comes to being able to put that down on paper, um, or, you know, illustrate that for somebody. So I wish I had the superpower to literally just take my brain and be like, this is what I'm thinking and this whole concept and vision and just like it just spits out on paper or like a 3D printer, um, that would be my superpower. That would be it. And and I think I would use that um, because I would use that in a way to like just really like honestly, I think I would use that. I would just set up a shop where entrepreneurs came to me and we talked about ideas and I helped like, you know, formulate the idea and I just spit it out. And then they could go to any bank and be like, here's the business plan. You know, that's that would be it. I think it would help in my marriage, too, because I like I'm. I'm awful at describing what I'm picturing and we do a lot of remodel projects on our house. And I'm like, wait a minute, you want to whitewash that wall? I wanted to do like a wood base. Like, what are you talking about? You know, and I could have sworn <laughs> I communicated that, but I didn't. Um, so that'd be really cool. You know what, what I think what you uh, just mentioned right now is what a previous guest, Cameron Harold referred to as having a vivid vision. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of funny because you know, Amy Cosper said that the number one uh, differentiator of entrepreneurs that succeed and those who don't is clarity of vision. Then we had Cameron Harold talk about the importance of having a vivid vision. And here you are now tossing out this superpower, which uh, is essentially along the same line. So you are in good company, my friend. Yeah, that's great. Being able to take that, those ideas and communicate them, articulate them in a way that everybody universally got them from day one would be an amazing thing. So how can, what are some steps that entrepreneurs, and you've been an entrepreneur for a long time. So you've had to, you've had ideas and you've had to communicate them to get consensus and buy-in somehow. So what are, what are some ways that entrepreneurs can apply the essence of that uh, superpower every day as they're trying to pitch their ideas and get buy-in. I'd probably call myself, by the way, like the mind mapper or something. But I I think, you know, like like the mind mapping tools, I think are really helpful. So as a, as a very practical sense, and I actually sometimes have to remind myself of that, like using different, there's all kinds of mind mapping tools out there, but you know, even, and, and pencil and paper are probably the best one, but just being able to sketch out like the, the, the thought of what you want to do and, and there's the there's the ethereal like the okay I want to I have this vision to change this and impact people in this way and I want to do this and I want them to feel like this there's all of that but then there's the practical stuff like I you know the processes of you know I want when a customer comes to my page and they buy something right away they get this email they get all that those mind mapping tools are really important and really helpful and I have to force myself to do that because it's it's super tedious and all that so I mean I think that's helpful I also think. For me, what I always tend back to when I can't articulate a vision is I just decide to do it myself. But that always ends up being super frustrating. You know, I, I either I'm late on the project or I'm I'm not able to fully do it the way I want. I give up or or you know whatever it is, or it takes more time, or I end up having to spend more money later because I sh- you know because I need someone to fix it or whatever. So. I think it's really important that I'm learning, and I'm I'm still completely learning this. To, to just be able to articulate a vision and then and and you know put the people around you whether it's consultants or, or hires or partners and trust them to make some decisions on how to build the vision you have knowing that like it may not be the exact color blue you pictured 
You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, that's for me, I think something I'm really, I'm really, and honestly, right now, personally struggling with in, in that I have to step back and I have to let certain things go because if I don't just articulate the vision and trust the, the team around me that I put in place, it's always going to be me and it's ever going to grow, you know? Um, and so I guess that's the lesson that I'm learning. And I, I think it's the right lesson. I guess I'll let you know in a year. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it seems to be, I mean, if you listen to people like Cameron Harold and you listen, you know, to the people who have been the, the real builders ahead of us, um, I think that's where their genius is understanding that delegating means giving up control. Um, in a sense, in that you, you know, you can still direct it, you can still drive it, you can still push it. But at the end of the day, you've got to, you, in some sense, you have to settle for the, the wisdom around you, you know, uh, which isn't always settling. It seems like settling, but it's really not. These people are probably smarter than, I know for me, they're smarter than me. So I really should trust them, you know? <laughs> yeah. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Right. And I think <laughs> what I've learned is the smartest people always say there's all that they surround people around them that are smarter than them, you know? So absolutely. That, that's the, that's the piece I'm learning. And I think it's, uh, there's some freedom in it, but there's also obviously a lot of uh, internal struggle. <laughs> sure. I mean, you, you know, you've been an entrepreneur for a long time. We just talked about, you know, continuously learning uh, new things and, and developing and surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you so that you're not in the, the smartest person in the room. So let's talk about mentorship. How important has have, have mentors been in your life and your career? And maybe tell us a story about a mentor or a person who has shaped your outlook as as an entrepreneur and and how you're choosing to pursue the entrepreneurial path. You know, gosh, there's been so many people, you know, in my life over the years that are mentors in so many in different ways. I mean, um, you know, honestly, I you know, I had a great a great friend when I lived in North Carolina who was who had been a senior executive at Krispy Kreme and then went on and did his own, you know, stuff and um, you know, we, we worked together for a couple of years and or about a year and, and really did some great projects together. It was a lot of fun, but you know, one of the things I learned from him was just authenticity, you know, just be who you are. I mean, I, you know, we're, we live in this world where we wear a monkey suit on Tuesday and we wear, you know, hipster jeans on Wednesday, depending on who we're going to hang out with, you know? And, um, and I think it's just the matter of just being who you are, being the skin you're comfortable with. And, and I think in business, I learned that, you know, I, I was, my background is 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 a mix of business, um, some entrepreneurship. I'm an author. Uh, I've I've done a lot in the in kind of the the church space, you know, in, in speaking and and writing, and so I always had these kind of like segmented things. Like I had my social media channels that I used for more you know ministry aligned work, and I had my stuff I did for more business aligned work. And I just realized like why would I do that? Just be who you are. If people aren't comfortable with you being uh, a person of faith or that you live that, then that's their problem. And honestly, what I found is. It's it's the exact opposite. People are more accepting and more, more. Um, what's I, I'm not even sure what the word is, but I've had more friendships that are outside. They're completely different lifestyles, completely different, uh, you know, faith backgrounds. All those things that that are more willing to jump in with me because I'm being authentic about who I am from from day one. So to me, you know, that was a big lesson. Um, you know, and I have a, a several just kind of partners and friends and, and people, a, a good buddy of mine, Mike Andretti, who's, who's on my board. And, and I just, you know, one of the things I love about him is I can, I can just throw out an idea and, and generally he's almost always got a better idea. Um, but, but he's always, it's, it, you know, there's a lot of mentors out there and this is what I've really learned that there's people out there who try to mentor you to be like them or to be like a certain picture that they, they see. Uh, and what I've realized for me is, that doesn't work. I need somebody who sees me for me. And even if they're completely different, they're going to draw the best out of me. And that's what, you know, my, my buddy, Mike, who's, who's become a, a good friend, but is also a mentor has been. And, and I think that's important. I think it's important that you find somebody that you can be authentic with and, and they're going to call you on your crap. I mean, I think that's important too, but they're also going to call you out of yourself. They're going to bring you into who you're really meant to be, not who they want you to be. You know, that it's that, that understanding that, hey, Mike's gifts are are different than mine, but I'm going to help Mike see those gifts. I'm going to help Mike pull those out, even if he's completely different than me. And, you know, I've had some mentors before that were more in that box of like trying to fit me into some mold that wasn't me. I mean, I, I'm not, 
I'm not going to be a certain type of person. I'm not, I'm never going to be type A. I can tell you that much. So, um, (laughs) So I think that's important. I think, you know, it doesn't mean you don't, you know, you need, you do need those people who are going to say, Hey, you know, you're totally disorganized and that's killing you. And they're going to help you get organized. I mean, that that's important. Or they're going to help you understand the importance of working at that at some level, but also understanding that you're, you're different and it's not going to become naturally or it's not going to be the same, you know? So I want to, I want to spend a little bit more time on that because I think that authenticity and being who you are is probably a big hurdle for for a lot of entrepreneurs uh being who you were made to be and and living uh, into your full potential because we live in such a manicured world today where you know the the Instagram effect and the curated content on Facebook and the 10th take selfie right. you know so you have the right perfect lighting. It's whatever, you know? So what, from your point of view, what are some like filters or, or steps that you use to make sure that you're checking what you're doing against who, you know, yourself, who, who you know, you are authentically. Yeah. You know, gosh, that's a, that, it's honestly one, that's a good question. I think I go right away to being married to someone that is not going to let me be a bullshitter. Excuse my language. Um, but you know, having somebody who can call me on my crap too, you know, that it's important that you have, whether you're married or not, that you have those people in your life that, that you trust enough to be real around. And they're, you know, here's the bottom line. If you're ever, if you ever feel like you're, you're want to be fake and that person's around, you're not going to do it. You know, you're just not going to do it. You're not going to lie. You're not going to overstate the truth. You're not going to fluff the numbers and, you know, say you have a thousand customers when you have a hundred, you're not going to do those things that, that you and I both know happen all the time in this entrepreneurship community, you know? Um, and then I think for the, the, the reality is, you know, like for me, you know, my wife's involved in my business. And so even just the fact of like, you know, treating the my customers the right way. I mean, I, I I'm going to be talking to her about that stuff. So there's just that accountability. I think that's really important. And I think just, you know, for me, I guess it's kind of one of those things where I'm a bit of an oversharer. So I, you know, I, I've, I'm very, I'm, you know, very available through social media and, and blogs and, and people know my life. They know who I am. They know what I do. And so honestly, if I've ever failed a customer or failed somebody on something, I hear about it. You know, because, mm-hmm. because they've seen who I am and, and it, you know, I mean, I, we even had a, a lady, we sent, we shipped food and, um, who something was wrong with her order. And, and her response to me was, I thought I was so worried you weren't going to call me back when I saw you on TV. I thought you were such a true and honest man. And then when this food came the wrong way, I thought maybe you weren't who you were. And I was like, Whoa, I mean, it was a mistake in our kitchen. I mean, it was totally, but had I not, had I not honored that and called her right away and said, Hey, this is the founder. I'm sorry that happened. You know? what, what message would I have sent? Right. So I think when you're, when you're transparent in your business and who you are and, and, uh, as a company, as a person, um, I think that all that stuff is accountability. I mean, so that, I mean, I guess in one way that's where social media is probably a positive thing, right? It's, it's, uh, you're, you're out there. Everything's out there. You know, when, when you called that client of yours to correct the matter, what was her reaction? She, she was extremely grateful. She said, I was so grateful because I was so worried that you weren't the man I saw on TV. And so when I, I mean, so it was, I mean, it was like right away a bond. She's like, you know, I fixed the problem. She was grateful. And it's, you know, what we do, it's hard to fix the problem because we're shipping, but, but it's, you know, immediately addressed it. We, we reached out to her again that week, you know, and, and there was immediately this connection and this, this personal relationship where even the following week when she got an order, she, you know, emailed me to let me know exactly how everything went, how everything tasted, how, you know, it was there was this trust built where now she felt like she was helping me as a business mm. owner, you know? So, um, that was really important. And I, I, I've, it's really been a lesson for me that, um, you know, you can't hide behind your customer service people. You can't hide behind your live chat and your, your, um, uh, support tickets and all that stuff. I mean, you gotta just be, it's not always going to be me responding, but, um, but I need to know what's going on so that our company's being authentic to who I'm saying I am. Mm-hmm. And I talk a little bit about that in some of the videos I've done on Facebook where you're addressing directly what I refer to as the fear of feedback. A lot of entrepreneurs avoid interacting with their customers after they've sold something because they're afraid that something might not work out exactly as it 
was supposed to, and they're going to get criticized when, in fact, actually that feedback and, and that criticism, good or positive, is exactly what the entrepreneur or the business needs in order to continue growing and improving products, et cetera. You know, you have a, an amazing, a, amazingly powerful story. And, you know, it's been said that greatness, great people, great companies are often born from a place of pain or adversity. And, and there certainly is that in your story. So why don't you tell us why you are an entrepreneur in the way that you are right now. Share your story with us and how you began to see a major problem and discovered the opportunity to fix it. Yeah, you know, I'm a, um, well, I, let's just, I'll just go there. I mean, I, I would say that, that I was born to be an entrepreneur. I think before all of this happened, I always had that urge, that drive, and that, that mentality um, that, and honestly, it, it, there's a lot of failure in my past careers because of always trying to fit in a certain mold <laughs> because that's how you're supposed to be. And finally, when you settle into that skin of, no, I'm supposed to be this, I'm supposed to be a creator, which, which means my life isn't always going to be stable and things are going to be in the air sometimes, you know? Um, and it was interesting because I think before this story, I, I really began to settle into that understanding for myself. And um, basically, you know, what happened is in 2011, my first wife, Angela, was diagnosed uh, with stage four colon cancer. Uh, it was a surprise diagnosis. She was, she was sick for about nine or 10 days. And um, finally, you know, after trying all different things, uh, our doctor said, you need to go to the ER. And, and so we went to the ER and uh, it was in the middle of the night on Easter Sunday. And, um, you know, the doctors were kind of passing it off. You're, you're fine. You're a 31-year-old woman. No problem. Constipation. It's not a big deal. Just take a laxative. And she kept pushing. Well, but I did take a laxative. I did this. I did this. And, um, you know, finally, they were going to send her home at one point. And she said to a doc, she said, you know, I haven't, I've been eating for nine days and I haven't passed any stool. And he goes, okay, well, that, I mean, I guess I should look at that, right? And so she, they did an x-ray. They didn't really find anything, but there was one weird abnormality. And they were like, okay, we'll do a CT scan. So I took the kids home. Um, she said, just go home because it was just the two of us living in North Carolina. We didn't have any family. So, you know, I had the kids with me in the waiting room. I went mm -hmm. home with them. She said, I'm sure it'll be fast. They're saying it's nothing. So, and an hour later, you know, I, I, um, I get a text message saying, hey, the doctor wants to talk to you. And so, um, honestly, my whole life changed at that point, you know, for obvious reasons, but, um, and came in and nurse took my kids and watched them. And I went in and found out that, uh, we were facing a massive tumor in the colon and tumors all over her liver. Um, and so we, you know, through the, the next couple of days determined that it was stage four colon cancer. It was metastatic. Uh, it was inoperable because of, of, um, where it was. And then the, the liver tumors were inoperable because they were all over the liver. So there was no, the only option at that point would be uh, a transplant, which would require a lot of improvement in the rest of her body before she could even do that. So, so it was, it was a terminal case. I mean, it was right away. And, and so we went through, um, you know, the normal gamut of things that people go through. We, you know, we, we, she had to have a colostomy put in at 31. So there's that, you know, psychology going on there that we had to deal with. Um, she started chemotherapy right away. Um, they did some other, you know, minor surgeries and things, but, um, we went through treatment and really what happened is right away she stopped eating. I mean, as soon as she started chemo, she was on three different chemotherapy drugs over a 48 hour period. And right away, basically by, uh, the end of the first day when she'd get all her infusions and then she'd take home a, a bag by the end of that first day of infusion, she couldn't eat and she basically didn't eat for about seven days. And so, and then she would be ravenous and, and all she could want, all she would want is all the stuff that would be the worst things to eat, but that was what she needed at the time. And, and so we really fought hard to get her, her weight under control to keep her from losing weight. Um, we bought some books on cancer nutrition and, and tried to make certain recipes and they were really difficult. I mean, there's like a broth with like 40 ingredients in it, you know, and yeah. I'm trying to raise two kids with a wife that's basically laying in bed for seven days. And, you know, it was all this stuff. And so we essentially went down this road of, of her going through treatment. We moved back to Arizona. Uh, we went through some, some advanced and alternative treatments and really just worked our tails off on feeding her the right foods. And, and ultimately, you know, it was food that kept her alive. I mean, she, she probably would have only lived two or three months um, had we not really fought. And we found out during that time 
of, of her cancer. And she had gone through, after we moved back to Arizona, she got really sick and was in the hospital for, for about 25 days over the course of a month and a half. And she lost 25 pounds during that time. And we found out after that, that if she had lost three more pounds, they were going to remove her from chemotherapy. She would no longer be able to receive treatment. And so we got really aggressive. We got, you know, she got a feeding tube. Uh, we got aggressive with with just you know making her eat past the point of of being hungry, and she lived from that point another uh, nine months. And what we really learned is that forty it's forty percent. I'm gonna get that my my stats mixed, but forty percent of cancer patients die from malnutrition, not even cancer. They're literally dying because they're not eating. They're not getting enough nutrition. They're they're losing weight. They're being removed from treatment or whatever it is, or other causes related to their malnutrition. Eighty five percent of cancer patients suffer from malnutrition, and then forty percent die. So it's it's a drastic number. And when we realized that, that's when Angela and I just said we got to get serious. You know, so when she was actually dying, so you know, we went through this phase. We were at a new hospital. They were they were feeding her incredible food. They actually had an organic foods program. Uh, it was the type of hospital where you actually looked forward to eating at, which I know most Americans have never experienced that, you know? <laughs> um, and one, we were leaving the hospital to go home for hospice care. And I was saying goodbye to a lot of the staff and I'd gotten to know the chef. And I was, I was saying goodbye to him. A woman walked by us with a bag of food. And I was like, what in the world? And he said, I said, you never would have thought somebody would leave a hospital with food. He goes, yeah, Chris, it's amazing. People are doing that now. They can't cook this way for themselves. So they come for their treatment and then they'll take however much food they need between, you know, they'll take, you know, a week or two weeks worth of food until their next visit. And they'll just put it in the freezer. And I said, oh, Frank, we got to do that. I got to do this. You know, we got to start a company. So basically that's what we started. We started a company to do ready-made meals that we deliver directly to people's homes. Uh, we've, we've since expanded it. It, you know, the concept has expanded to cancer patients, uh, you know, other chronically ill patients and even from walking well, people who are just trying to eat, to be healthy and to stay healthy and, and all that. So, uh, we deliver meals directly to their door. We have a nutrition program to support them. Um, and, you know, it took us a couple of years to really build out the concept and, and for me to just get the courage up to go, you know, to get started. But uh, it's been amazing. That's that, you know, the, this idea that came out of something so bad. I mean, it was the day she was going home to die, you know, is the right. day that the idea came. And when we were mm-hmm. on our way home, she she said, this is your best idea yet. And here I am sharing with my, this is how you know I'm an entrepreneur. My wife, I'm driving her home for hospice and I'm telling her my next business idea. Um, <laughs> And so she said, this is your best idea yet. I hope you do it. And so that's, that's what we're setting out to do. Wow. That, I mean, that moment right there is, is just such a beautiful moment from, from death springs life. Mm. Yes. And, and it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And, you know, you, you wrote a book about your whole journey uh, that people can, can buy and it's, we'll, we'll link to it in the, in the show notes called it as well. And I encourage people to check that out, but the company is called Bene plates, right? Bene plates, which Bene in Latin means well. So it's, it's okay. well plates essentially is, is the, the term, the idea of helping people live well, no matter what their situation is. So even if they are in a, in a chronic, you know, diagnosis situation like cancer or whatever it is, um, you know, hopefully we can give them some vitality during that time or help them in their, in their recovery. So, so it's, uh, Bene plates is the name of the company. And on your website, you, 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 you really, the call to action is for people to join you in a food revolution, which, which I think is pretty audacious and, and an <laughs> awesome, awesomely powerful statement. What, what was the inspiration specifically behind the revolution? part of it. You know, I just, I, every time I would share, you know, we've worked on this, this concept for a couple of years and, and every time I would share it with people, especially people in the healthcare field, they would say, you know, one of the most atrocious things that I see in, in our systems is the food that we serve people. You know, we bring people and I, and, and, you know, Angela, rest her soul. One of the, the funniest things she said during you know, you, you use hands, uh, humor to get through cancer really, you know, and, um, and she said at one point, it was like the first week she was in the hospital after the surgeries and everything after we found out. And it was the first day she was eating food and I walked in and they had brought the food in already. And she's looking at this brown plate of food, you know, and she just said, you mean I avoided this crap my whole life to avoid cancer and now they feed it to me? You know? 
and that was the thing. I mean, there was nothing at that hospital she could eat. It was just, it was, it smelled bad. It looked bad. It, and, and then when you look at what it was, it, it was, it, I, I know being in the food business where it came from, it's, it's canned product. And a majority of our hospitals are doing that today. And a majority of, of patients are being told things like, it doesn't matter. Just eat what you can. Just if you, if all you can have is a milkshake, go for it. And then we're giving people cans of, of liquid that, is made up of a bunch of ingredients that no one can even pronounce. Um, that's causing all kinds of other issues, and we're and we're under not understanding why they're they're getting all these other symptoms and 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 you know uh, comorbidities with their disease. And so I felt like we needed to make a stand to say, and I and I'm not the first one to say food revolution. I mean, there's some other food revolutions out there, but for the chronically ill, we need a food revolution. We need to understand. That diet and nutrition plays an extremely vital role in their ability to to fight the disease and their ability to recover and their ability to handle the treatment. Um, and and it, we need to revolutionize it. We need and and to me, rather than going through the system and and working through hospitals. So, you know, for instance, the hospital that we went to that that was doing this organic food program just completely cut the program because of budgets. Right. So rather than going through institutions which are always going to make decisions for other reasons, we needed to go direct to the consumer. And so that's our goal is to, to, to create the demand by proving to people, proving to doctors, proving to hospitals, proving to individuals that when they eat well, eat well while they're in treatment, they will do better. We're not going to necessarily cure anyone, but we're going to keep them on treatment longer. We're going to keep them feeling better. We're going to keep them up with their weight up. And obviously, I, my hope is we're going to keep them from dying from malnutrition. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-275. 2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. What's been the, you know, you guys have been around for a while now. What's been the reaction of the community at large? Uh, not just the, the cancer community, uh, but just at large. I know you guys have developed some great partnerships with, with other people, right? Yeah, I mean, really, the the biggest thing, and it's it's great, is everyone's just said, I I'm just so glad somebody's doing this. Why hasn't this happened before? You know, I think it's been a very much. It's one of those ideas that I think anyone probably could have had at some point in their life. You know, and and it's one of those things where people are like, oh my gosh, about it's about time we do this. You know, so we've had a great amount of support. You know, we launched with a Kickstarter campaign, and we had a great, you know. We didn't spend a ton of money on that campaign. We didn't have a ton of PR or a big, you know, engine behind it. And we were able to to gain 144 backers and raise 18 grand to help kind of get our proof of concept out, which was great. Um, we've we've been, you know, um, continuing through social media and things to share our vision and our mission, and and we're just gaining kind of strategic partners and people all over. And and it's been great. I mean, we have. Several customers who have come to us because a family member has bought them a gift card or has brought them and said, "Hey, I want to sponsor. I want to, you know, pay for this person to get meals from you and that kind of thing." So, so it's been really um, powerful to see that. I think most of us have been affected by. Well, I, mean, I think all of us have been affected by some chronic illness, but you know, a lot, a lot of us have been affected by cancer. Um, mm-hmm. And so people see it, they get it. I mean, they they understand it. I mean, you know, it's 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 not my statistic that. The three leading causes of death in America are all related to diet and nutrition and, and physical lifestyle. So mm-hmm. we need to make a change even in our preventative, right? But mm-hmm. if we have those diseases, what better way to fight and to, to be able to say, you know what? No, I'm not going to let this take me. I'm going to work at this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to live the best I can in these days I have left and, and eat well. I mean, here's the thing, Mike. We're not sending food that doesn't taste good. You know, I've um, seen it. A big, yeah. yeah, a big goal for us is to send food that is that is extremely craveable. Um, that that's that's my first when I'm looking at a recipe item. That's my first thing. I want people, and a lot of them are items I make in my own kitchen. So 
So I've known that somebody has tasted that and said, this is the best thing I've ever had, you know? And so then we take that. And if it doesn't have enough micronutrients or things that we want to really do, we'll, we'll kind of revamp the recipe a little bit to, to, you know, beef up the healthiness of it. Um, but that's our goal, you know, is, is to do that. Right. And food is, is medicine, whether you're, uh, healthy or in a position where you're, you're fighting any sort of illness, it really good food, I should say, is medicine, and and that's translated well in your business model because you not only are you serving those with chronic illness, but you you're also, as you said, serving people the the walking the walking well. Is that what you how you refer? Yeah, you know, and it's funny because I that was like literally is I that was, a riff off the Walking? It Dead was. Well, I don't watch the Walking Dead, so I'm not a I can't do the zombie thing. So I don't. It's that you know I'm I'm kind of a little little baby when it comes to that stuff. So I don't, you know, I don't watch it, but when I, I wrote something, I don't remember what it was. It was like when we were doing a Kickstarter campaign and I think it was just like a social media post that I wrote. And I said the walking well, and then like all these people came up to me. Oh, I love that the walking well. And it, it was like, I wonder why everyone loves that so much. And it was finally, I, I shared it with my wife. I, you know, I saw her like later that day and she goes, was that for The Walking Dead? I was like, what? What, what are you talking about? So she watches The Walking <laughs> Dead. So, um, but it's it's actually you know, but that's the reality. It's who we are, right? We're 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 living. We seem well. We feel well. We're we're hoping we're well. So so that's the goal there. And honestly, you know, we've thought uh, several times about whether or not we should just focus on the chronically ill. But I think there's something really important about us working with The Walking Well, is that. Knowing that when you're buying a product from us, you're helping us to be able to support more cancer patients. I mean, that's, and it's not a, you know, this isn't like Tom's, this isn't a one for one type of deal. We do plan on setting aside, you know, basically for every meal plan we sell, one meal is, is then able to be available to a patient who can't afford it or something. But we haven't even put that mechanism in place. But we, we, we do want to do those things. But just the idea that you're coming alongside us and these other customers who are a part of our community that, you're supporting them. So you might just be eating because you're doing a, uh, you know, you have a fitness center nearby who's doing a strong and lean program and they've got people signing up for our meals, you know, and uh, you might just be doing the strong and lean, but you know that by doing that with us, you're supporting us helping this other cancer patient down the street who needs meals. And maybe we're, maybe we're discounting it for her or whatever it is. Those things help. So, so that's kind of why we kept, we've kept that in there. I mean, I think there's uh, she had someone tell me today, I should just focus, but I think there's something really special about that. Well, I think that it totally makes sense because if you're, you know, eating well and you're eating foods that aren't super inflammatory while you're good and healthy, you know, it's going to likely significantly decrease the probability of you actually developing and feeding cancerous cells, I would imagine. And I am by no stretch of the imagination a scientist, but that just seems right. like like logical thinking. To yeah. Me. There, there's so many elements that are involved with cancer, you know, with what's causing cancer. And, and ultimately it, it all comes down to some form of inflammation. I mean, all chronic disease does, but yes, good, healthy nutrition will help ward off those diseases. I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's tons of new, of, uh, studies out there to suggest that does it mean it'll, you know, for instance, Angela ate a lot of healthy food before she got cancer, but she still got cancer. But right. there's all other things that are involved, and especially knowing, you know, one of the things I've learned in this process is that um, in chronic inflammation is what, with leading to disease generally starts 20 to 30 years prior to the disease setting in. Wow. So it could have been, you know, you could be decided since you were 20 that you're going to go out and you're going to always eat organic and you're always going to do this and you're always going to exercise. But something that happened, you know, when you were 10 could be what's causing your illnesses or whatever. So. So, but the bottom line is we need to do what we can do. You know, am I saying don't eat donuts on National Donut Day? No, I'm not saying that. Enjoy life from time to time, you know, but, but we should, we should definitely make sure we're eating the, the clean foods that we're eating well, that we're, that we're kind of fighting for our life now. And, and you know what, Mike, we feel better when we do, you know? I think there should be a national Bene Plates Day. There should be. Absolutely. I was, <laughs> that'd be great. And you know what? I, I think you get a commission if we ever get that. Uh, I, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you my, uh, my address so you can send a check. <laughs> Let, let's transition a little bit into the entrepreneurial journey because I, I like talking about the impact and, and everything behind what you're doing. But I, I also want our listeners who are entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs to be able to take some of your experience 
and, and, and hardship in launching a company and learn from it so that they can maybe avoid those same pitfalls or, or uh, take advantage of opportunities that you may have missed out on. So if you were starting again right now, you and your partners and your board were sitting down and, and getting ready to launch this, this company, what are two or three things you would do differently? You know, I would I would probably have done a few more things to be really ready to launch. I mean, I think there were certain aspects of of doing this that required a lot of time. I mean, shipping, you're dealing with with boxes and packaging companies and designing, you know, you have to figure out which what kind of container you're going to put the food in and how many meal plan how many meals in each box and from there you decide how big your box is and how much styrofoam you need there's it's so many components and and to me i was feeling very impatient like that was taking way too long we need to launch get the kickstarter going we'll figure all that stuff out in the process and and then what happens is you get so busy with your launch you know with your especially when you have a small team I mean, it was essentially me at the time um with a few consultants and then, you know, really me doing most of the, the physical lifting of the work. So you're so focused on the launch and, and responding. And we had a great response, great media, great stuff that happened. Um, but then you're not able to do those fine tuning. And, and then you're going, well, now I've got pressure because I've got all these people that are expecting a product from me and I've got to go run and do that. And so that having that, that pressure that I really put on myself um, really kind of, led to me making some mistakes that were costly that we had to then, you know, fix and eat the cost of that and all those things. And, and that's frustrating, you know? Um, now at the same time, I learned a lot through that process. So, so I don't, you know, I don't think you should beat yourself up about those mistakes, but I would just take that time, you know, speed to market is important in some cases, but, but at the same time, it's also important that you get it right. I don't think it has to be, you know, people always compare Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. You know, Bill Gates was the kind, the guy that was said, just ship, we'll fix the problems later. And, and here we are, and they're still trying to fix Windows. And, you know, then you have Steve Jobs who, like, everything has to be perfect before you even mention the product, right? So that was kind of the, that's the, the two archetypes that people talk about. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you need to be Steve Jobs. And I, and I don't think it's bad to be Bill Gates. I think I'm more like the Bill Gates side. But I think you got to make sure you feel confident you're going to be able to put that out there the way that you say you are and all of that. Take that time. And then, you know, uh, you know, we, we launched on a, on a bootstrap, on a shoestring. And, and initially, when we were first going to do this, we were looking at investment and, and we were pulling in investors and all of that. And, and then I was, I was involved with some other people and, and there was a, a business deal that was associated to us that didn't go well. And it just really turned me off to all of that. So I just said, no, we're going to go. It's going to be tight knit. We're going to do this. It's going to be, we're going to do it cheap. And, um, you know, make sure you have enough capital, but also don't be afraid to do that. There is a way to figure out a business without having to have a million dollars to start, you know? Um, and I think even more so today, I think it's really important that we, that it really great to see. I mean, you know, we use a shared kitchen 10 years ago, there weren't shared kitchens around, you know, there weren't co-working spaces. There weren't, you know, even all these places where you can go and, and make things, these maker spots, you know, where they've got all the tools and stuff to, to manufacture your products, um, that take your time to find those kind of partnerships, figure out the most reasonable budget you can do and get to market. Don't be afraid to do that. Um, you know, and, and, and I would certainly suggest that you do it without debt. I, I think that's one of the biggest decisions I'm glad we did. I would say if I could go back, I would just maybe give myself like two more months. You know, there, there are a lot of people that feel stuck. They're, They've been knocked down, or maybe someone's listening and they're at a crossroads professionally in their career, and they're they want to launch, they want to do what you've done and launch something. Uh, what is the next best step step that that person, that listener, can take toward executing their vision or their dream? I always talk about you know the the person, the dreamer versus the dreamer and the doer. Um, so what what's something? a step that somebody could take toward executing that vision for their next venture, their company, or break, beginning to break away from uh, a career where they feel stuck? You know, I would, I would sit down and, and I would really think through, um, you know, the reasons and, and the, the idea behind it. And, and I think, you know, 
to the point of, uh, you know, what are your intentions, right? It's not just about making money. Is it about doing something good? Because if you're just about making money, fine, you can do that, but you can do that in a lot of ways. You can just go sell stuff, you know? But, mm-hmm. it, you know, if you're going to go down, if you're going to face the the fire, every payroll and, and all those things for a couple of years where you ramp up your business, you've got to have more reasons, you know? And so really sit down and understand the reason. And then I would just say, articulate for yourself on paper or whatever, what it is you really want to do. And, and to the point where, where you only say, and also like twice, because <laughs> what always happens is we're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to launch Bene plates. We're going to make food for the chronically ill. And we're also going to have nutritionists on our team who, who support them and, 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 you know, work with them to plan their diet and all of that. And then, you know, we're also going to do some catering and then I'm thinking we're going to open some restaurants and also we're going to do, and literally after the second and also, or the first and also people are like, this guy has no, has no real understanding of what he's doing. He doesn't mm-hmm, really have mm-hmm. a focus. And, and ultimately we started with those first two. And then I started going, well, in order to pay for my chef and be able to bring him on full time and do this and this, I'm going to add catering. I'm going to add all that. I'm going to add all that. And now here I am nine months later going, okay, let's strip all that away and go back to the first two because that's what we really want to do anyway. Um, And so I think it's really important because I, you know, I'm, I'm in the entrepreneur community now a lot more. I'm at, I'm at different events and things and I meet lots of young entrepreneurs, lots of, of second career entrepreneurs who are really great. Um, And then even me, who's not somebody who's like, I mean, I'm no VC guy, but they lose me. Because it's like all of a sudden, I'm no longer focused on that real vision that they started with in sentence one. I'm over here trying to figure out how sentence two and three went with that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really important. And then I would say you articulate those couple things. You know, for some people, they've already done that. They've been thinking about it forever. They can start putting a business plan down. But if they're not ready for that, just go out and start talking to people. Go to events. Go to, you know, we have a, a great community for entrepreneurs in Arizona called Alliances. Go find entrepreneur meetup groups. And start talking and saying, I'm just here to learn. I want to learn how you guys started and and start getting some advice. Um, I think those are kind of the next steps. And, and then it is important you get some sort of business plan down. I'm not saying the 35-page type thing. you know. And most people are never going to ask to see your business plan, but you do need to do it for yourself. Uh, a great software, and I don't know if you're okay, Mike, with me sharing that, but a great software for that is called LivePlan, liveplan.com. And, and it really... It's great because if you're not good at spreadsheets, it does, you know, it's got a calculator, you know, it asks you all the right questions and then it spits out the spreadsheet. Oh, nice. That kind of stuff. So there's just really, it, it's, it's a really good tool to force you into a template. Uh, cause I believe, I mean, I am a writer and I couldn't get myself into a good template for a business plan until I found life. So those would be, you know, articulated in, in, you know, three sentences, very clearly what you want to do, go out and start talking about it. Get it, start getting it down on paper for yourself, get advice, and then go on live plan and build your business plan. I love it. So now we're wrapping up our conversation today. You, you know, you're you're getting ready to leave the Bene Played offices, you're turning off uh, the lights, uh, and you ask yourself the question, how will I measure my life? So Chris, how will you measure your life? You know, um, I, first off, I mean, I'm going to give you two answers because it's it's hard not to. First of all, is do, is how my kids eulogize me. That's how I measure my life. If my kids mm. and my spouse, and I am remarried now, my kids and my spouse eulogize me, and they have something to say <laughs> that wasn't made up and it was authentic, but then <laughs> then I think that's important. I don't know what mark I'm going to leave on their lives, but I want for my children to to have been impacted positively. And I my hope is that. They far supersede my skills, my talents, my my generosity, my kindness, all of that. And they then they are just, you know, beyond the people for I, I pale in comparison to who they become. That's important. That's number one. I honestly. From an entrepreneur standpoint, I hope that that I leave, leave a legacy of understanding what it means to help people and serve people while creating a sustainable business model. And, and, and if I can do that, if I can help people in a way that's honest, fair, and just, and, and make money that allows me to do all kinds of other great things like serve people and, and be generous, then I, then I feel like I've lived a good life. So that's what I'm out to do. Beautiful. How can our listeners connect with you, follow you, uh, get more uh, familiar with your product, et cetera. You know, they can go to beneplates.com. So it's B-E-N-E plates.com. And I know you'll have it in the show notes. 
But uh, they can go there. They can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'm also out there, Chris Faddis, F-A-D-D-I-S, of course. Uh, you can find me on Twitter um, under Faticus, and you can find me on Instagram as well. And I'm often sharing, you know, on on all those channels, you know, what we're up to, the different chefs we're working with, different patients we're helping, that kind of thing. And then our book, you know, my book is out there on Amazon. And actually, look for the second edition because by the time this airs, our second edition will be out. Uh, and we've uh, we've revised it. We've also added a for- an afterward to the book that tells kind of the rest of the story of what we're doing with Ancelus Legacy. So. That's awesome. Any last words of wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners? No, you know what? Just just go out there and make a difference. I mean, if your if your goal is to make toilet paper feel better, do it and do it authentically. Be real and help people and do it in a way that that is affordable for most people. Uh, and then from there, I just I just hope that more entrepreneurs would just see the the beauty of what they get to do and go be generous. I love meeting generous entrepreneurs who are just helping all these these different people in different ways and no one would even know. I mean, we just lost a police officer here in, in the Phoenix area a couple weeks ago and it came out a couple weeks later that Bob Parsons of GoDaddy gave a hundred thousand dollars to the to the law enforcement agency to help his family, you know? And I just wow. thought, see, that's that's amazing right there. I don't know what people think of Bob Parsons. I don't know him at all. But all that success from GoDaddy and and his response was to go to a barbecue and drop a hundred thousand dollar check for this this police officer's family. So Go make a difference and then use that difference to go change the world in, in ways that don't even benefit your family, that are just generosity. That's amazing. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being a guest today on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. It was awesome to hear your story and to learn more about how Bene Plates is impacting the lives of others. And, and thanks for sharing the tips just from an entrepreneur's point of view on how those who are stuck or aspiring to be entrepreneurs can take next steps to achieve their dreams and have the impact that they want to have in the world. So thanks for being a guest today. Thank you so much, Mike. It's often said that greatness is born from a place of pain or adversity. And there's no doubt that Chris's story has some pain in it, but has a lot of beauty in it. And very importantly, it created an opportunity and an awareness where he saw a gap, a need that he was able to take advantage of in the pursuit of having a massively positive impact in the lives of others. And he's created this great company that is taking the food world on by storm. If you enjoyed this episode, and if you enjoyed the ideas and the concepts and the things that Chris and I discussed please go to iTunes, write a review and rate the show and also share this show with those you love. Share the show with those people you know need to hear a positive message in the light of everything that's going on in the world today. Thanks for listening. Now go make an impact.